Hi everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm very excited to be joined today by Dr. Aaron Ahuvia, Professor of Marketing, Brand Love Expert, Keynote Speaker and author of The Things We Love. Dr. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you're here today to share some of your 20 years of research into what it means to truly love a brand and how you can use that knowledge to build more meaningful relationships with your customers. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. So um, I've been doing this for a long time. Actually, it's closer to 30 years at this point. Um, I started doing this when I was a PhD student in the marketing program at Kellogg Northwestern University. And uh, one of my professors there is a famous marketing guy, Philip Kotler. And I was working with him on some projects and he was all about like, oh, everything is, you know, everything is marketing. Even dating is marketing. He told me once. So I asked him if I could do like, oh, dating is marketing. I was single. I thought that's way more interesting than actual marketing. I want to do that. So he connected me with uh, a professor, Mara Edelman, who was doing research on dating services, which were just getting off the ground. I mean, people uh, of younger generations don't realize like nobody did this. This was not a thing 30 years ago. So we did a bunch of work on dating services. I ended up on the Oprah Winfrey show. It was pretty fun, but I needed something that was going to be a little more mainstream than that when I went on the job market. But I'd done spent years at that point studying the psychology of love, sort of interpersonal love, why people fall in love with each other. And I didn't want to let go of that time I'd invest in that research. So I thought, well, you know, people love products, they love brands, they love hobbies, they love all kinds of things. Um, what if I looked at, took the psychology of love and applied it as seriously to these other things that people love? Turns out nobody had taken that particular approach before. So I ended up doing the first sort of major scientific research on what later came to be called brand love. And which is, you know, it's about brands, but really extends more than brands. It includes products and just like anything that people love. Uh, and that area has since that time really taken off. Now, if you put brand love into a search engine, you'll get about 14,000 some papers, academic papers that look at that. Um, so it's been an area that I've really had the privilege of sort of founding the area and then staying um, very involved since then. Uh, and it's something that's of tremendous interest. It's the companies, I, I talked to a lot of companies um, and we can get into why that is, but most of the things people want from marketing uh, can be captured in the idea of brand love. And I do want to say one thing about it just at the, at the get go. Uh, some people really like the term brand love. Some people make them a little uncomfortable. The things that I'm going to be talking about today 
you can call it anything you want. And anytime you're trying to get customers who are really enthusiastic about the product, who will tell their friends about it, who if someone says something bad about the product will defend it online, who you know will pay a price premium, who will go out of their way to buy the product, go to a different store, what have you. All those kinds of behaviors, um, I call that brand love. You can call it brand enthusiasm. You can call it anything you want, um, super fandom, whatever. It's really all the same stuff. So regardless of whether you like that word or not, um, the, the ideas that we're going to be talking about today apply to any brand that's trying to have that sort of relationship with its customers. I'm sort of hoping that people that have tuned into a podcast called The Business of Customer Love won't be too uncomfortable with the term <laughs> brand love. But um, but to your point, that's kind of irrelevant, really. And um, you've really teed up the episode nicely there. So thanks for that. So as we alluded to in the introduction, you've been researching the topic of brand love for close to 30 years now. In that time, I'd be interested to hear what you've determined to be the main factors behind brands building a base of loyal superfans. So you can think of a sort of a recipe for brand love as being a little bit like, say, a recipe for bread or something else. So the first main ingredient, like in bread, the main ingredient would be flour. The first main ingredient in brand love is product quality and performance our service performance, just having a really excellent product. And we can see that in the way people use language. So sometimes when people talk about loving a product or a brand, they literally mean that they actually full on love this thing. And I, that's one of the things I study. It, it definitely happens. But people also use the word love much more loosely. Um, and you'll say like, oh, I, I love your shoes. I love your new haircut. You don't love the person's new haircut, but what do you mean there? What you're actually saying is that's a very good haircut. And so we use the word love as a synonym for excellence, right? That's a really good thing, whatever it is. And what we can learn from that, given the way people use language, is that that's not all of love, but that's a really big part of love. That's why we use the word that way. So we can see that having an excellent product or service is the first step. And if you're thinking that you're going to somehow get people to love a, a mediocre product, it's really not likely to happen in, in any sustained way. However, most people know that already. I, you know, when I talk to companies, small or large businesses, you know, everyone gets the idea that if your product is mediocre, you're not going to get a lot of brand love. And people already have an, a correct focus on creating really high quality uh, high-performance products. So that's the main ingredient. But if you think about that as like the flour and the bread, if all you've got is flour, you're not going to get, it's not bread yet, right? And you can add more quality. You can add more flour to that pile of flour. You just get a bigger pile of flour. You don't get bread, right? So it's really important. What most people miss is they don't get that just quality and performance alone by itself will not get you to love. You need other ingredients there too. So the second other ingredient is analogous to what in dating situations we call chemistry. So it's pretty common for people to say something like, oh, I went on this date. Um, the other person looked really good on paper, but we didn't have any chemistry. So what does that sentence actually mean? Well, the looked really good on paper, that's like the product quality and performance, right? There were a lot of good attributes to this person. 
But the lack of chemistry, what that actually means is I didn't have a good experience. If you go out on a date and it's easy to talk and you're laughing and you're having a good time and you're feeling comfortable, then you call that, oh, we had a lot of chemistry together. So the chemistry is really about your experience during the interaction. And in business context and branding, we call that user experience or UX, our customer experience. So that's the next big ingredient. Uh, you've got to have a, a really pleasurable, pleasant user experience um, along with a quality product. And that continues from the, you know, it starts when they start looking for information about your product. It goes through the purchase process, but also the use, service after the sale, making sure they're getting the most out of the product as they use it. Um, so that's the second big ingredient. The third ingredient is what I sometimes call the secret ingredient. And it's, I'm doing my best not to have it be secret. <laughs> like everyone just sort of know about it, but I call it the secret ingredient because most people have no idea about this. Um, the first two people at least have thought of, right? The third one, they, they miss entirely. And to understand this, uh, you need to know a little bit I'll, I'll keep the science simple, but you need to know a little bit about how the human brain works. And this is a fairly new discovery that comes out of neuroscience research in the past maybe 20 years um, and really changed the way that I looked at brand love to the point that I think that a lot of the people who haven't sort of caught up with the newest research have a misunderstanding, the same misunderstanding I used to have. Uh, and it's pretty rare to hear someone say, I was wrong, I changed my mind, but I was wrong and I have changed my mind and I've done it because there's evidence here. So what I'm talking about is I used to think that your brain treated people, thought about people and objects in fundamentally the same ways. Like it, it had, it was, it processed information about them in the same ways. It simply does not your brain automatically unconsciously sorts out people from everything else and it thinks about people in different ways. Sometimes there are different hormones released in the brain if it's a person versus an object. Sometimes it's just a different neural network that's activated. In a few cases, it could actually be a different place in the brain. So if you look at an object and want to identify what it is, your brain will process that visual information in one physical part of the brain. If you look at a person and try and figure out who they are, your brain will actually process that in a different physical part of the brain. So it just gives you an idea of how distinct these kinds of things are. Uh, love is part of the kind of mental processing that your brain uses for people. It's not part of the mental processing your brain uses for objects. So if you're if the customer's brain is seeing the brand or the product simply as an object, it's very difficult to get them to actually love this because your brain is processing in a whole bunch of ways that don't really include love. That isn't part of what, what's going on. So the third ingredient is getting the customer's brain to think about your brand or product the way they normally think about people. And this isn't super easy, but it absolutely is possible. And we know it's possible because we see examples all the time. We see examples where we think about people as if they were objects. We even have a word for that, objectifying the person. And that, what that really means is your brain is thinking about them in the way you normally think about objects. 
And we have the opposite, where you personify a product in some way. You think about the product as if it was a person. And that is always going on. And so I gave the example a bit earlier about the woman who's doing video editing for me. Right? Why did my, why am I willing to like go out of my way to help her when I'm not really interested in helping Descript, the software company? And the reason is in my brain, Descript is an object. And I, you know, I'm glad that it makes my life easier but it's still an object and I don't feel an obligation. I don't feel a desire to help objects. Whereas the woman doing the video editing is a human being. And even though we're not like close friends, she's still a human being. My brain is processing her as a human being. And so it's, I have this natural impulse to want to help her that I don't have for the video editing software. That's very interesting. And just to that point, how do brands start to get their customers to see them more as people and less like objects? Is it a bit like, for example, people associating Apple with Steve Jobs? There's, there's three basic ways that you can get the consumer to see, to get their brain to think about it the way they normally think about people. Um, so one way that, you know, is if they actually are a person, right? So that's one of the reasons that we all have like high levels of brand loyalty, not everyone, but many people, high levels of brand loyalty to your accountant, to your hairdresser, to like service people, you know, because you they are people and that sort of engenders this. Um, similarly, if it's an object, if you make it anthropomorphic, so you make the object look a little bit like a person or talk, like Siri talks like a human being, or cars, the front of a car looks like a human face. Car designers know this. They call the front of the car the face of the car. And they're very conscious about, okay, the headlights are the eyes, the grill is the mouth. How do we create the kind of personality that we want? That's one of the reasons that people tend to love their cars more than other objects, is that they really do unconsciously come to see their car as a person, and people who love their cars will say things like, you know, oh, I bought the car a present. I bought it like new hubcaps, right? I said, it's a gift to the car. So they're clearly coming to see it as, you know, as a human being. So that's another way to do it. But another way you mentioned with Steve Jobs um, is that if there's just someone that they associate with the brand. So it could be a celebrity spokesperson for the brand. It could be the founder of the company. Uh, in the consumer electronics area, Apple, which is really associated with the human being, Steve Jobs, it's one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but it is one of the reasons people tend to love Matt, Apple more than some of the other companies. Similarly, if you look at vacuums, um, there's only one vacuum cleaner company that gets a lot of brand love, and that's Dyson. And Dyson is associated with Dyson. It's a human being that people like, you know, his story and they know about him a little bit. Uh, so that kind of a connection can help. Um, but it doesn't always have to be with someone directly from the company. So there's other advertising, for example, uh, Patek Philippe, the incredibly expensive Swiss watch maker. Their advertising is all about how, you know, you get you buy the Swiss watch, but it's something you're going to hand on through the generations. So your children are going to get it. So you're not thinking about the Patek Philippe in terms of the, the founder of the company so much as you are, you're mentally connected to your own child that you're going to give this watch to. And that is 
super powerful if you can do that kind of thing. So there are a lot of ways to make this happen. It can sound, if I, when I start at the beginning and say, well, you got, you've got to get customers to see the brand or the product as if it was a person. That can sound like, oh, that's never going to work. But there really are ways that, that it can be done and is done all the time. Now, there's often a perception that you need to be a, a quote unquote cool brand with interesting products or services to get customers to fall in love with you. Does the research back up those assumptions or is there more to it than that? I will say that it helps a lot if whatever you're doing can get the customer's attention. So if it's a product or a brand that customers are interested in the category, like you can always tell that because there'll be like magazines for people like photography. People pay money to read magazines about camera technology if they're into that kind of thing. So if you have that kind of a product, it's a lot easier because you're going to need to get the customer's attention. If you're selling something like that the customers really don't care about, it's it's harder to get them to pay enough attention to it to necessarily fall in love with it. And it makes it a little, it's not impossible, but it makes it more challenging. However, there is also a difference between what uh, researchers call sexy brands versus sincere brands. So sexy brands are any brand, it doesn't literally mean sexy. I mean, Victoria's Secret is a sexy brand, but uh, so is Apple. Apple is also a sexy brand in a certain way. So any brand that's like Gucci or Jaguar that sells on status or brands that are like super high energy. So if you see, if they're advertising features, people jumping out of airplanes or doing really exciting things, or it features like singers, pop singers, dancing around on stage in a high energy way. All that is part of sort of being a sexy brand. A sincere brand is a brand that is connected to people emotionally, but it's more sentimental and it feels deeper and it's less about excitement. Uh, so Dove Soap is a very successful, sincere brand. Uh, they have this campaign called Real Beauty, and it's about how, you know, people of any age and any body type can be beautiful. And this really strikes a chord with a lot of consumers. It's been very successful in terms of sales. And people really feel an emotional connection to that brand. Um, although it's not really sexy in the same way that, you know, Jaguar cars or Gucci is sort of sexy in that way. Um, anytime that you see an advertisement for a product, if the advertisement makes you want to cry, that's a sincere brand. Um, they're going for that kind of emotionality. And people tend to trust and develop deeper emotional connections to sincere brands often than they do to sexy brands. Um, but they often, it's interesting, if you're a sincere brand, there's a higher bar for ethics for you. The sexy brands, if the brand makes a mistake, customers tend to be forgiving because they didn't really expect the, the brand not to make a mistake to begin with, right? It was like, yeah, I kind of figured, I kind of figured that was something like that was going to happen, right? Um, but if you're a sincere brand, you're promising you're a good guy brand, right? And then the expectations are a, a little bit higher for you. I will add here briefly that it is not the case that all brands are either sexy or sincere. Um, there's a lot of, a few brands are both and most brands are neither. So most brands, people don't care about them one way, they don't think about them at all. 
they're not they're not sexy they're not sincere they're just blah right um and some brands like apple which again is super successful at generating brand love it's sexy in a certain way but to especially to people who've been buying it for a long time there is a kind of a deeper emotional connection it's sexy sort of and sincere and that's what we all want in our personal life when we when we pick a romantic partner we want someone who's both sexy and sincere and it would be ideal for brands if you could be that way too now based on our discussion um around building brand love um, and particularly the third point that you were talking about there Mm -hmm. um are customers ultimately looking to form relationships with brands and products or is there something slightly different going on here yeah, um, there are critics of the whole idea of brand love. And when I first started out, uh, I would disagree with them. They would say things like, customers aren't looking to form a relationship with a the brand. They just want some basic product functionality. They want not to have to think about it very much, right? And this is ridiculous. They don't want to love your brand and they're not interested in that kind of thing. Uh, and I used to say, well, no, look at these various brands, you know, like Apple and many others where customers really do love that brand, right? Obviously, there are some brands that people love and it pays off enormously for these brands in terms of profitability when, when that happens. Uh, but now when I hear this, sort of customers don't want to love a brand, my response is, you're absolutely right. Customers don't want to love a brand. In fact, their brain is designed not to love brands, but... If they're not thinking about it entirely as a brand, yes, they consciously know it's a brand. Absolutely. But unconsciously, they're processing it like it was a person. That changes the whole equation uh, of how things work. So if we go back to the sort of bread analogy, where like quality is the flour, it's the main ingredient, right? And maybe you're making raisin bread. You know, chemistry is the raisins. They had a lot of flavor and interest and and attraction to that raisin bread. Well, in that sort of a thing, um, this would be the yeast. It's not the biggest ingredient, uh, but it activates everything. It makes everything else possible. It gets the cat, you know, the whole process. You don't have yeast, you get a tortilla, you don't get a loaf of bread. And uh, if people are thinking, well, my sales are... My sales response is, it's as flat as a tortilla. Well, maybe, maybe you need some yeast in there to, to leaven things up a little bit. Um, and the, the yeast comes from getting people to think about it in this other way, uh, which we've been talking about ways to do. And we were talking off air about this idea of whether people want to fall in love with a brand or not. And what you explained to me is actually people are looking to form connections with other people and they'll use brands and products to be able to do that. That's a, that's a huge point. And so... When we're talking about, okay, how do you get consumers to think of the brand as a person, right? I mentioned, well, one way is to get, you know, make them think like, do it anthropomorphically. So they think, they actually think the object is human. Now, I'm consciously not going to do this, but your brain decides if something is a person two times, once consciously and once unconsciously. And most of the time there's agreement there. Most of the time, if you look at a chair, your conscious brain says, it's not a person. Your unconscious brain says, it's not a person and there's no problem. But there are some situations where your conscious brain says it's not a person, but your unconscious brain says it is a person. And that happens quite regularly. And so that's that's going to be happening in most of these situations. So 
if you use a brand or a product to connect to another human being, it becomes associated with that other person. And unconsciously, your brand, your brain starts treating it like a person because it has that very strong connection. And so here's a super simple thought experiment that can make how, this clear how this works. So imagine that you're dating somebody and you're really into them. Like you've, you've fallen in love, you're really into them, and they give you some gift and it's a little vase that's attractive. And so you take that vase and you put it on your mantelpiece and you think it's a beautiful vase and you love that vase. And every time you go by it, your heart goes pitter-pat a little bit because it makes you think of that person that you're dating. And then you have a terrible breakup with them. They're, you're furious with them. You never want to see them again. You walk by that vase. All of a sudden, you hate that vase right the day before you love that vase now you hate the vase and you can see that your feelings about the vase really are driven by your feelings about the person and what that tells you is that in your mind you've really connected that object to a person and your love or hatred for that object is really just a reflection of what's going on with the person so that's a kind of extreme example but that in milder more diffuse forms underlies an enormous amount of brand love. So there was interesting studies done where they look at a situation where one person loves a brand, but it's like just them and they love this brand versus situations where maybe it's a group of friends. And one of the things that they all have in common is they all love this brand. And you see that with sports fans, where like all of your friends will be fans of the same team. Or you and your friends will all love the same musician that you'll have in common. Or with Apple has that to a large extent. Or with people who are uh, fans. Like I know people who drive Ferraris. I did uh, some interviews with them. And they, like, they're all friends with each other because they all love Ferrari together. Well, you have those sorts of situations. People tend to be much more brand loyal in those situations than they are in situations where it's just me and the brand, just the two of us by ourselves. And the reason is, if it's just me and the brand, I don't feel any guilt about cheating on the brand, so to speak, because really, who cares? You can't cheat on a brand, it's an object. You don't know, you don't know Jack, right? So that's one thing. But if it's me and my friend and the brand, then I feel like I'm actually cheating on my friend, more, you know, not just the brand. That's way more motivating. I care way more about my friend than I do about some object. And so part of the way to get brand love is to get to consumers to see this object or brand as something that helps them connect with other people and supports their relationships. And you'll see that. I'll give you another example of this that I think from my own research I was really fun is when you talk to uh this, I did this with college students. I talked to the college students about their phones and why they love their phones. And it turns out that it's not so much about the phone itself. It's really about all the people they text with on their phone. And the phone connects them to all these other people. And then my research uh, with Philip Rauschnabel showed that the more friends people have, the more they love their phone. Because if you've got a lot of friends, it's really providing a lot of benefit to you because you're connecting with all these people. And so you love the phone uh, as a result. Very interesting. We've covered some amazing ground today. Just to wrap things up, and you started to allude to it a little bit there, 
How would you describe the importance of brands building strong emotional relationships with their customers? And what kind of impact can these relationships have on us as consumers? There was recently a a study done. It's called a meta-analysis, which takes all the research done in a certain area and throws it all together and tries to reach general overall conclusions about things. And this was looking at what predicts brand loyalty. And it determined that brand love was by far uh, the strongest predictor of brand loyalty. And you see that in my own research, we show very strong effects of brand love, um, not just on brand loyalty, but again, on word of mouth, huge. People love to talk about the things that they love, just like they love to talk about the people that they love. You get a grandparent going on about their grandkids, they'll talk about them forever, right? So you get people to you know to love that product or brand, they will really enjoy talking about that with, with other people. So it has effects on that, on pricing power. Uh, there was a number of years ago, not too long ago, Apple was selling a little bit less than 20% of all the smartphones in the world, but they were earning an astonishing 92% of all the profits from the global smartphone market were all going to Apple. And the reason they were able to earn this astonishing level of profit was just that they made a lot more. The profit margin on each Apple phone was much higher than the profit margin on all the other phones. And the reason for that is that people loved Apple and they were just willing to pay it. The other companies, they could have raised their prices all they wanted, but people wouldn't have bought the darn phones if they raised their prices. Apple raised their prices, people still buy the phones. So um, it has tremendous effects on you know, the pricing power and a number of other positive things. The market value of brand love is extremely high. Um, now, having said that, it is not easy to attain. I mean, I used to, it's, people think if I just make a good product, brand love is just going to happen. And it's not just going to happen. You need to have a good product, but just making a good product by itself, it's like, again, it's the recipe. You need all the ingredients in the recipe. You just have one ingredient. It's not going to do it by itself. There was another example that you gave as well when we were talking the other day about if you love a brand, you you might go and sort of look at other brands, but actually what happens is you're A, less likely to move to another brand, but your emotional connection with the first brand can actually be enhanced as well. Yeah, so uh, that is true sometimes for people and brands and products is that if you really do have an emotional connection to something and you look at the competition, you're doing what what psychologists call motivated reasoning. You may say to yourself, I'm gonna take an objective look at these things. You're not taking an objective look at these things. Any more than a parent when they compare their own child's arts and craft projects to the neighbor's child's arts and craft project, right? They're not not taking an objective look at at these kinds of things. And so because we have this emotional connection to to this brand, when you compare it to the competition, what your brain is doing is it's saying, let's find reasons why our brand is better. And so you end up coming out liking your brand more because you kind of talked yourself into uh, how good it is because that's kind of emotionally what your brain wants to do is it wants to maintain this relationship again, with the brand, uh, just like it it would with a person that um, it loved, that you loved. Fabulous. Dr. Aaron, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, Simeon, it was really a pleasure to be here. Um, and I, you know, heard about your podcast, uh, the Customer Love podcast, and thought, wow, this is just the podcast for me. So it's it's great to really make this connection. And uh, anytime you want to know something about uh, customer love, I'm your man. Excellent. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.